Ashley Rock reading Diane Palmer's book, A Man of Means, Chapter 10. The next morning, Meredith sat next to Ray in church and felt his hand holding hers almost all the way through the service. She felt different with him that, than she'd ever felt with anyone else. Ray made her feel as if she could do anything. He made her feel strong and confident and safe. She glanced up at him while they were sharing a hymnal, and he forgot what he was singing. They searched each other's eyes slowly until they realized that somebody, that everybody else had stopped singing and were sitting down, smiling sheepishly. Ray sat down and sobered down beside him. After the service, they got amused, affectionate looks from bystanders who knew Ray and had heard about his new cook. But he didn't seem to be the least bit embarrassed by the attention. In fact, he made a point of introducing Meredith to several people, and that little-known information that she was a licensed nurse practitioner, as well as a great biscuit chief. Meredith flushed, because it sounded as if he were very proud of her, especially when he related how her quick thinking had probably saved Billy Joel's life at the target range. Billy Joel was well-known and liked locally, so the bot even more smiles. He clung to his hand with the same delight when they left. See, you've already a local celebrity, he teased, and I didn't even get around to mentioning the snake. We can forget the snake, she said quickly. No, we shouldn't. It wins me points if I have a cook who isn't even afraid of poisonous snakes. She heard that hesitation before Kirk, as if he wanted to say something else instead, made a tingle all over her. She couldn't stop smiling on the way to the Jaguar convertible drove when he wasn't working. This is a very flashy car, she commented as he put her in on the passenger side. I like sports cars. He said with a grin, so do I, she confessed. She didn't even put on a scarf. In fact, she pulled the pins out of her hair and let it fly around her shoulders. Want to tangle in the wind? He asked when they were seatbelted in place. I don't care. She looked at him and smiled more. I like to feel the wind. Me too. He started the car, put it in gear, and pulled out onto the highway. When they were on the interstate heading toward Houston, he let the powerful car do his do it best. Now this is a horse. He called over the roar of the wind. She laughed with pure delight. It was the most wonderful day of her life. She even forgot where they were going and the excitement of being with him in the elegant vehicle. But all too soon, they were pulling up on an oppressive brick building with its function discreetly labeled on it, mental plate, metal plate near the door. It was a substance abuse rehabilitation center, three stories tall, and staffed impressively with psychiatrists, soaked psychologists, psychiatrists, and health professionals, including physicians. Ray, Ray held her hand to the information desk and then up to the second floor waiting room where her father would be brought to visit with him. They don't like visitors the first week, Ray explained to her. You probably knew that. He had to remember her professions. I've never had anybody in here, she said quietly. She was nervous since she looked it. Caught her fingers in his and held them tight. It's going to be all right. He said firmly. She met his eyes and took a deep breath. Okay, she said after a minute and her body lost some of its regularity. There were footsteps and muffled voices. A minute later, her father came in the door, wearing slacks and a knit shirt, and behind him was a uniformed woman with a clipboard. Miss Jones, I'm Gladys Bartlett, the woman introduced herself with a firm handshake. I'm the staff psychologist on your father's case. Hello, Mary. Her father said hesitantly. He winced when he noticed the faded bruise on her face. I'm sorry, my dear. He choked Mary to let go of Ray's hand, went forward to hug her father warmly. Mr. Jones closed his eyes and hugged her back hard. His lips trembled as his, as he forced them together, but tears ran down his lean pillow. I'm so sorry, he sobbed. She patted him on the back, and tears fell hotly from her own eyes. 
It's okay, Daddy. She whispered brokenly, comforting him the way he'd once comforted her and Mike when they were little. Something had hurt him, hurt them. He'd been a wonderful father. It's okay, she said again. You're going to be fine. We both are. My son, my boy, you should go. I said I was too busy to take her to the bank. I asked him. I asked Mike to go and said he'd be alive. But for me, now, Mr. Jones, the counselor said gently, we've been over this several times already. You can't assume blame for the lawless acts of other people. Ninety-nine times out of a hundred, nothing would have happened if you'd asked your son to go to the bank on your behalf. But this was the one out of a hundred, yes, and I can't live with guilt. <laughs> I've had my own problems with it, Meredith confessed. I could have refused to go into work that day and taken her instead. And you'd be lying dead instead of Mike, his <laughs> father replied. And I'd be just as eaten up with guilt. You're both missing the point. He said, Stina, you can't control life. Nobody can. They all looked at him, stood quietly, hands deep in his slack pockets and stared back. Einstein said that God didn't play dice with the universe, and he was right. Even it, even in seeming chaos, there's an order to things, a chain of events that leads inevitably to conclusions. People are links in the chain, but people don't control the events. Life has a pattern, even if we don't see it. He studied psychology. <laughs> You studied philosophy, <laughs> Mr. Jones said quietly. Yes, I have. The older man with thinning hair and glasses and a faintly stooped posture moved away from Meredith's mind. I took several courses in it myself. You have a degree, haven't you? I do, in business. I'm master's from Harvard. Ray volunteered something that Meredith hadn't even known. Mine is in medicine. Veterinarian medicine, I'm, I know. Your doctor, Alan Jones. Ray said, shaking hands. Your daughter is staying with us on the ranch of Jacobsville, baking biscuits while she recovers. Dr. Jones winced. They told me what I did to you. He said, glance and shade face at his arm. I swear before God, I'll never take another drink as long as I live. <laughs> you won't get the chance, Ray said. I intend to watch you like a red-tailed hawk. Excuse me, Dr. Jones. Stanford. Ray studied the booth. We don't have a vet on staff. We have to call one down from Victoria because our vets are overworked to death. It would be nice to have our own vet. We pay competitive salaries, and you'd have your own house. Dr. Jones said that quiet. Young man, I Ray lifted his head and stared him in the eyes. You made a mistake. People do. That's why they put erasers on pencils. You can work for us. We'll keep you straight, and you won't have to take some sort of Menial job in Houston just to make ends meet. You'll like the ranch, he added. We have a good crew. Someone might know what I did. Dr. Johnson, everybody already knows. Ray Sensor, it's no big deal to us. We've got one man who came back from cocaine addiction. Let me tell you, that was a story and a half. And another one who was a habitat of DUI for six years until we hired him and helped him get straight. He's my. We don't hold a man's pass against him as long as he's willing to stay straight and work hard. Dr. Jones was having a hard time keeping control of himself and himself. You know, man, I'll work without salary if that's what it takes, and I promise you'll never have cause to get giving me a job. Not unless you keep calling me, young man. Ray said with a grin, I'm Renard Hart, but everybody calls me Ray. Glad to meet you, the older man said. Ray, Ray nodded. How much longer will they keep you? He asked and glanced at the woman with the clipboard. Another week should do it, she said with a big smile. And how nice to see him with a settled environment to look forward to the day he leaves. I believe in minor miracles, but I don't see many. This is certainly one.
I gave her a complaint smile. Miracles only happen for people who believe in them. He said, chuckling. Thanks, Ray. Meredith said, I was going, how could I ignore the father of the only woman who ever proposed to me? He said, matter-of-factly, with a smile that made her blush. You proposed to him? Her father asked with Ray's eyeball. Several times, she said with mock disgust. But he has to wash his dog, so he can't marry me. Dr. Jones laughed heart heartfully. The council relaxed. This was going to work out. Dr. Jones was never going to end up in rehab again. She was certain of it. She only wished she could say the same for more of her poorer patients. On the drive back to Jacobsville, Meredith was on top of the road. Not only does he get a new job, but one doing what he actually always loved best, working around large animals. He likes cattle, does he? Ray asked, absently enjoying Meredith's animated company. He grew up on a cattle ranch in Montana, she explained. He was even in rodeo for six or seven years before he went to college. Ray expelled a breath. Was, this was going to work on even better than he dreamed. Amazing, he thought. How a single act of kindness can expand like ripples around a rock dropped into a pond. He's not much good on a horse anymore, she continued chattingly, but he really knows veterinary and medicine. You might go back to Texas one day, not in Houston, he added gently, but Texas is a big state, and when he's been away from alcohol a couple years, who knows? The ranch will be good for him. You didn't mean it, didn't you? She added quickly. It wasn't something you said to help him want to get better. I barely rarely say things I don't mean, Meredith, he replied. Well, yeah, it was wrong. I wasn't exactly telling the truth about washing the dogs. Excuses, excuses, she toyed with the purse. Ray, thank you for giving him a second chance. He loved you. I've got an alternative motive, he murmured dryly. When you come to the ranch to visit him, you can make me a pan of biscuits. Just you? Not one to share with Leo? He shifted behind him. He can go find someone to make him biscuits, he said to her. He's a, surely someone in Texas. There's a woman who'd do it just for him. Your other brothers do their wives make Dory and Tess do, he said. But Tira hasn't got a clue how to. <laughs> he had it on side. Simon doesn't mind. They will cook who can, although he's really not much on biscuits, so it doesn't matter. He grinned. You should see him with his sons. Two of them now. They're still toddlers, and he's a whiz at fatherhood. Dory and Corrigan have a boy and a girl, and Cag and Tess have a son. That makes me an uncle five times over. Christmas is going to be a real treat this year. She thought about Christmas. It was going to be a lonely one for her. With her father down here on the ranch, saw the look on her face and reached out to catch her hand in his. Hey, said Tom, you're invited for Christmas, you know. We'll pack up the kids and go over to the annual Christmas party at the doctor's coal train. They have huge layouts of Leonard trains that they run every year, especially with a little boy of their own. He'll be big enough to play with them in a couple of years. Tom's a big crowd. Do you like train sets? She's about I do. It lived in her heart to know that she was going to be included in the family get-together. She loved children. It would make the season less traumatic for her and her father because they were missing two members of their immediate family. We'll make it a happy Christmas, he said softly. She tangled her fingers into his. I'll have that to look forward to when I get back. It's premature right now, but if you decide to move down here too, I bet good money that Michael Steele would offer you work. She looked at his big warm hand holding it. I like Jacobsville. His fingers grew possessive. I like you. <laughs> Thanks, I like you too. And if you'd loan me your cell phone, I'll call the minister right now. We can set a date. <laughs> See, I would get hasty, Joe. Hold on, Tiger. I may have been lying about washing the dogs, but marriage is a big step. You have to look out for me. You have to look out for me. I know you can tame snakes and handle heart attacks. You bake good biscuits. But how do you look in a suit? And can you dance?
I look great in a suit, she said firmly. And I can do Latin dances. He grimaced. I can. How about a nice slow two-step? <laughs> I can do that, too. He glanced at What do you like to read? He asked. The next few minutes were spent in gleeful harmony, going over things they had in common. They liked the same basic forms of relaxation. And they even thought alike on how... <laughs> politics and child raising it was a very good start marriages had seen far too many relationships start over start out with nothing more than sex for a foundation and they didn't last took common interests common beliefs friendships to make a lasting marriage marriage that word once so warily approached now seemed as natural as letting ray hold her hand all the way back to jacobsville she wondered where they were going together in the future and hoped it was someplace nice she had to go back to work the following week friday morning she had her suitcase packed she was wearing her tailored beige suit with her blonde hair and a neat ponytail when she followed ray out the door he carried her suitcase to his car and put it in the truck i'll be back late this afternoon he told Leo. if you need me i'll be on my cell phone he patted the cell phone carry on as well Oh, I think I can cope. Leo dropped with a wink of Meredith. Don't be a stranger, Meredith. He had We'll miss you. But thanks for making us all those pains of frozen biscuits. It's a good thing you have a walk-in freezer, is all I can say. She moved slowly. But don't forget the directions on how to cook them, she had They're only dough until then. I'll have it all down, Pat, in no time. Leo promised. Meanwhile, he had a rub in his big hands together with his little there are still six biscuits left over from breakfast. No use asking you to save me a couple. Is there? Ray asked on a sigh. Blood is thicker than water, except where biscuits are involved. Leo shall back. Sorry. Ray got in the car and started the engine without another word. Meredith was quick, quiet most of the way to Houston. She was oddly reluctant to go back to work. Although she loved her job, she was going to miss Ray and Leo and Mrs. Lewis. She was even going to miss the chickens. You can come down any time you want. Ray reminded her when he noticed that she was brooding. It had been hard, but he kept his hands to himself for the duration of her stay at the ranch. He was planning a frontal assault in the near future. This wasn't the time, though. I know. She stared out the window at the bare trees and chilly flat landscape. Lansing. Thanksgiving's comes along pretty soon. Your father will be working for us by then. You can come and spend a few days while you're off. I might still be on call, she worried. He was going to have been silent himself after she said that. The rest of the way to Houston, he had the radio on, letting it fill the cool silence. Dropped her off at her father's house, who looked cold and unwelcoming. Now she unlocked the front door so that he could sit her suitcases inside. She turned back to him, her gray eyes wide and sad as they met his dark ones. He had removed his hat, and it was hard to see his face in the shadow of it. Well, thanks for everything. She began. He stared down on her with a sense of loss. After the ride up to Houston to visit her father, there seemed to be a curtain between them. They'd been very close that Sunday. When he'd gotten cold feet, he admitted to himself, and he'd drawn back, felt the thread of her in his heart, and he was trying to run from it. Suddenly, it was like trying to run from himself. You'll be here alone, he said quietly. Make sure you keep your door locked. We haven't had any reports that they caught the guys who rolled Leo, just in case. Don't let your guard down. I'll be fine, she promised him. She looked so small, vulnerable, standing there. He hated leaving her. You wear your jacket when it's cold like this, she told him firmly, noticing that he was standing in the cold wind and just a shirt sleeve of his camera shirt. And my raincoat when it's raining, he said with a mark. You wear yours, too. So he hesitated. Well, goodbye, she said to him. You and I won't ever say goodbye, Meredith, she replied. It's so long. She forced a smile. So long, then? He was still hesitating, his face absolutely grim. I know where yours is open this early, she said suddenly with mysterious enthusiasm. And it warmed him to hear her tease, to see that wonderful smile. 
Do you really? <laughs> she nodded. He can even have a diamond, but it would have to be a small one. <laughs> his dark eyes were. You're just old, that thought. He said, one of these days we might talk about this marriage hang-up of yours. Meanwhile, I've got to. If you say wash the dog, sure enough, I'll suck you. He joked. I wasn't going to say that. I've got to get back and finish my marketing strategy for next year before we have our year-end board meeting. I guess that's pretty complicated. No more than threatening diseases and plotting nutrition. <laughs> he studied your crown. I'll miss you. Don't stay away too long. Wash from. You have to save me from attacks of my virtue from Howard's of more sex craves women. He said without check, cracking a smile. Who knows? One of my weak and give in to one of them, and then where would we be? I've got my heart set on a virgin. See you for any laptops. Sorry, honey, you missed that boat by a decade or so. She snapped her fingers. Damn. On the other hand, I didn't. He said in a deep, soft voice, move closer. He her face in his lean hands and studied the hungrily for several seconds. You make me ache every time I touch you. He whispered, I'll starve to death before you get back. Star? She wasn't thinking. She was watching his long, hard mouth come closer, shoulder breaths until it settled ever so softly on her parted lips. Then she didn't think that all for several long to mention his seconds. Too soon, he caught her by the arms and pushed her. He used all that, he muttered presently. I refuse to be seduced on the front lawn. She was trying to get your man. No problem. There's a nice soft carpet just five steps this way. She indicated, though, I'm not that kind of man, he said hotly. She made a face. He chuckled and kissed her one last time teasingly before he pulled back and stared down on his car. Toward his car. I'll go you. That's what they all say, she cried up. Then you go me, honey, he said in a deep, sexy voice that made her mouth. You got my number, even if you don't know it yet. He winked and went on to the car. He didn't look back, even as he drove away. Meredith's eyes followed the car until it was out of sight. She didn't cry until she was inside behind the closed door. She was back at work and going crazy in no time, overrun by people with everything from stomach viruses to the flu. She had a good immune system, and she didn't catch any of the ailments, but she missed Ray terribly. Three days before Thanksgiving, her father telephoned her from the ranch, full of excitement about his new job. Seemed like a different person. He told her he was still going to therapy sessions, but in Jacobsville with a psychologist. He was doing much better, and he was going to make everything up to his daughter. He swore it, and... Wasn't she coming for Thanksgiving? It took real nerve to tell him the truth that she hadn't been able to get off because of the time she had already missed. There was simply nobody available to replace her. She'd have Thanksgiving Day, but nothing more. She tried to beg the time off to have a long weekend, but her boss hadn't been pleased and he refused. He wanted her on call that weekend and she couldn't be and go to Jacobsville. The office held a huge clinic for the local immigrant population on Saturdays, as well as Sunday afternoon, and Meredith was completely bilingual in medical terms. It made her indispensable not that she minded these people were desperately in need of even the most basic health care meredith was a whiz at preventative medicine she counseled them advised them on nutrition and wellness and tried not to hurt the sight of little children with rotting teeth and poor vision and a dozen other ailments that money could have corrected easily the disparity between the rich and the poor was never more evident than in a minority communities. But the fact was she had one day off for Thanksgiving and no real time for herself. It was a reminder of just how pressed her job really was and how demanding. She loved what she did, but she hated being made to feel guilty when she asked for time off, something she hadn't done since her brother's and mother's untimely death. Actually, it had been a battle royale to get time off for bereavement leave and the funerals, and she had to go right back to work the day after the burials. It had been too soon, but she thought, 
work would be good medicine. Perhaps it had been, but she was living on nerves. The weeks at the heart range had given her a taste of a whole other life. It was one she recalled with joy and missed every day. Most of all, she missed Ray. Now she wouldn't even see him. Now she wouldn't even see him. Her father said that he'd asked someone to loan him a vehicle and he'd come up to have Thanksgiving with her. That cheered her up a little, but it would mean she wouldn't see Ray. It was a bad blow. She told her father that she'd make dinner, which cheered him up as well. Thanksgiving Day came and Merita got up before daylight to start cooking. She was determined that she had her that she and her father were going to have the best Thanksgiving dinner she could manage. She bought a turkey and a small ham and raw ingredients to make dressing and sweet potatoes or filet, green beans, a brochure, homemade rolls, and cherry and pumpkin pies. She'd just taken the last pie out of the oven when she heard her car pull up in front of the house. She didn't stop to take off her raven or run a brush through her disheveled hair. She ran to the front door and opened it just in time to see her father and Ray come up on the porch. Happy Thanksgiving, Mary. Her father said and hugged her warmly. Ray We thought you might like company to help you eat all that food. He told her, I didn't make biscuits, she said worriedly. Just don't make rolls. I love rolls. He held out his arm. Welcome here. He chimed when she said, You can't treat a red hot matrimony prospect like me to the cold shoulder. You'll never get me to say yes from arm's length. Her father coughed. <clears throat> I'll just uh check on the turkey, he said with an empty smile and went into the kitchen. Ray nudged Meredith back inside the house, closed the door and kissed her to within an inch of her life. He barely stopped to breathe before he was kissing her again, enfolding her in a brearish embrace while he made her made up for what seemed like years of absence. You're smothering me, she played weakly. Stop complaining and kiss me, he murmured against her swollen lips, kissed her even hard. I'm not complaining she guessed and he finally stopped he bit her low lip adirtly i am he groaned come on woman ravish me here she explained why not well give your father corners and him to the store for cigarettes he asked with a comical desperation between kisses nobody here smokes he pointed out excuses excuses he murmured against her lips using her own favorite complaint her arms tightened and he only stopped when he had to breathe what a long dry spell's been, Mary. He was right. Come back here. She kissed him and kissed him with no thought of the future. It was wonderful to be held and cuddled and wanted. She thought she never felt so much joy in her whole life as she did. Ray and Ray's hard arms. There's that carpet you mentioned when I left here last time. He said breathlessly, indicating the floor. He wiggled both arrows. We can lock your father in the kitchen and you can ravish me right here. Not on your life. She licked her arms around his neck. I won't ravish you until you agree to marry me, she managed unsteadily. Is that a proposal? He murmured huskily. Sure, you can have a ring. I think there's a ten-year-old cigar band around here somewhere. He was still kissing her between words. I'll phone the minister first thing tomorrow. You can have a blood test at work. I already had Micah still do one on me. He said he'd love to have a nurse practitioner of his very own, by the way. If you're interested, we can have a Christmas wedding in Jacobsville. Her mind was spinning. She couldn't quite understand what he was saying. Of course, he was kissing her. She could hardly take it all. Blood test. Work for Micah. Christmas many wedding, she murmured. Mm -hmm. He whispered, kissing her. You can give me a ring whenever you like, but I got you one already. <laughs> he fumbled in his jacket pocket, pulled out a velvet covered jewelry box. He opened it and showed it to her. Side was a glorious emerald solitaire and a diamond and an emerald wedding band. If you don't like it, we can throw it in the fish water and you can go buy something else. 
I love Vincey, explained Flush by the sudden turn of events. Good. Here. Took out the engagement ring, pocketed the box, and slid gently on a ring finger. Now, as a visual, we're engaged. Remember what you just promised. He had it with Wigan. The minute your father leaves, I'll let you ravish me on that carpet. <laughs> End of chapter 10.